You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Welcome back to the midweek edition. Today we are talking about the tree of life. We're moving through Genesis, and uh, in the story of Genesis 2, we find the tree of life. And I don't know about you, but I often forget about this tree, which is kind of sad because it's actually an important uh, uh, symbol in the Bible. Uh, it doesn't show up like a crazy amount, but it appears uh, quite a bit in the Bible. And um, I, I always find that my focus is not on this tree, but on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the reason is because this tree really catches our attention, right? If we eat from this tree, we die. If we eat from this tree, we bring sin into the world. Because Adam and Eve ate from this tree, they messed everything up. They brought uh, sin into the world. We needed Jesus to come redeem us. Uh, uh, the rest of the Bible story that is painted about humanity and sin and all that comes because we ate from the one tree we weren't supposed to eat from, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So because of all that, I often get so focused on the tree of knowledge of good and evil that I forget there are two trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And unlike the tree of knowledge of good and evil, how many times can I say that over and over again here? Uh, Unlike that tree, We can eat from the tree of life. In fact, God said you could eat from any of the trees in the garden. Just stay away from that particular one that has the knowledge of good and evil. So, uh, yeah, with all that being said, sometimes forget about the tree of life. And right now we're going to take a look at the passage that uh, focuses our attention on it. And then we're going to talk about uh, the importance of this tree and its symbolism and all of that. So this brings us into Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So again, uh, tree of life is good tree of knowledge of good and evil is uh, bad or at least not meant for humanity. So with all that being said, uh, let's talk a little bit about the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is uh, actually a symbol that you'll find throughout other ancient literature. Um, So to some extent, we have to recognize like uh, uh, the Hebrews here and their story of Genesis and creation. They're taking something that other cultures know about and they're giving it their own spin. This is actually quite common. Uh, we even see it in what we talked about last week, right? In other creation accounts, uh, deities would make creation and then they would rest in it. Uh, so in the Genesis creation account, the Hebrews have God make creation, have Yahweh make creation, and then rest in it. They're using similar motifs that everyone would understand Uh, to tell their story. So to some extent, the tree of life is another one of those motifs. Uh, But this one, we can actually understand without having to get into ancient times, because we have seen this motif in our own world, right? Okay, so uh, (laughs) I don't know if you've seen any of the media pieces of which I am about to 
direct quote, but there's a video game, Uncharted 2, okay? In that game, uh, you are searching for uh, the tree of life, uh, that if you were to eat of this mythical fruit, you would live forever. So right there, you see the myth continue on into today. Uh, Anaconda 2, <laughs> or Anacondas, I don't remember. Some movie with killer snakes. I remember watching when I was younger. Uh, and uh, in this, they're not just duking it out with anacondas, but they're trying to find a tree of life that uh, if they were to eat of this fruit or find this fruit, they could genetically use it to um, alter it and give it to the world as a way for business to make all this money because they found the secret to immortality. The secret to immortality is a common theme in just a lot of things today, right? And we still have these myths that we use in our media about uh, immortality not just being like a sci-fi thing, but immortality being a mythical thing. If we could just find this this one tree uh, that uh, is fabled to exist in these past cultures, then maybe we could uh, live forever. Uh, so we already know the story. We already have seen it in today's own culture and the stories that we we weave. But they also knew it in ancient times. In the ancient Near East... Uh, uh, they were used to this idea of a tree of life representing uh, a quest for immortality. And I'm going to be working with uh, uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary. This is a great tool. Uh, a lot of what we're going to talk today is going to come right from that. So if you want to learn more about it, I, I actually think it's free. Uh, you can get the free edition of Lagos uh, Bible Software, and I believe you get the Lexham Bible Dictionary with it, which honestly, like any research you want to do. You read a passage uh, at home and you're like, man, I just want to know about, you know, this tree of life right here or any kind of like thing that pops up. You just type it in. You'll get these awesome articles written by really smart scholars. So that's some of what we're going to be working with today. Uh, but uh, yeah, in the ancient Near East, tree of life was a quest for immortality. Immortality. Uh, you see it in all different kinds of stories back then. Uh, one of the more popular stories that people are somewhat familiar with today is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, and in that, you actually see uh, Gilgamesh talking about trying to um, uh, find a plant that if, uh, if they would eat of this plant, they would be turned into a young man. So they wouldn't necessarily live forever, but you know they could kind of start life over. Another story that we've kind of seen played out today. Uh, so... You see stories throughout ancient literature that believed in, in these ideas of, of trees of, of life. So what is it all about when the Hebrews take the same motif and they put it in their creation story? Why did they go there? What's, what's the importance that they're trying to get at? And part of the importance is found uh, in the presence of God. Okay, so if you listen to last week's podcast, then you'll remember that God resting in the Garden of Eden indicates to us that Eden was to be a temple of sorts where God dwelled. Because other ancient creation stories, the God rested in uh, uh, his temple. So God, the one true God, Yahweh, rests in Eden as his temple. His presence is there. And what do we find in the presence of God? Well, we find life. 
eternal life, immortal life, uh, life and life alone, where there is no death to take us over. So here we find not necessarily the idea that humans couldn't die, right? Because we're made from dust is what the Bible tells us. And other places throughout the Bible where dust is mentioned, like dust is usually kind of uh, corresponding with dust. You know, we came from dust, we go back to dust. We're nothing more than dust and ashes. Uh, You see kind of stories throughout the Bible like this. So even in the fact that God made us from dust, there's almost this call out to like, we're not immortal because uh, we're made from from a term that is often used for like uh, mortality. We, we live for a little bit and then we die. So there is this uh, idea that we don't live forever. Plus, uh, think about it this way. After Adam and Eve's sin, they're cast out of the garden so they can't eat from the tree of life anymore, implying like one of the reasons that they could live forever is because they had access to the tree of life. And where is that tree of life found? It's found in God's presence. So that right there should be a very powerful metaphor in that motif of the tree of life right here, right? The Hebrews are telling us God's presence is life. And if we want life and life abundant, if we want to live forever, then we need to ground ourselves in God's presence. Now, uh, we see this uh, a symbol of God's presence in other places as well. A menorah, right? Uh, you've seen about a, uh, you've seen a menorah or you've heard about a menorah before. It's that Jewish lampstand. Uh, it's got a bunch of arms that come out of it and each one holds a candle. That is designed uh, from a biblical standpoint to look like a tree. And you find these menorahs, their original intention was to be inside of tabernacle, uh, of the tabernacle where God's presence dwelt. So he used to dwell in this temple of Eden. Then he moves his manifest presence into the tabernacle. And when he makes the tabernacle, when he gives the blueprint to Moses and all of them to make the tabernacle, he begins to tell them, look, uh, you need to put a menorah inside of this place. It's going to be this this candlestick that's shaped like a tree. And it's going to, uh, we see the symbolism here, it's to represent the tree of life. So if you want to come to God's presence in the tabernacle where his spirit is manifest inside the Holy of Holies, well, right outside of the Holy of Holies, you're going to find a representation of the tree of life. Therefore, the tree of life, again, represents God's presence. You want life, it's in God's presence. So we do see this as a motif. The life uh, that we want abundantly is in God. So yeah, we do see the metaphor of God's presence found in the tree of life. But that's not to say that it's only symbolical. You know, I don't know uh, what the right answer is as far as the tree of life and in Adam and Eve state. Okay. I don't know, like if they ate of this fruit, was that just like symbolism that they would live forever? I don't know if that's scientific. Like if they ate of this fruit would like, did God create this fruit in some way to keep them living forever? Or I don't know if it's a supernatural thing. You eat of this, this tree, the the tree of life and, and it gives you like supernatural, <laughs> uh, ability to live forever. I don't know what the case is. Uh, but, uh, there definitely is this indication, um, that the tree of life in God's presence was, uh, part of the way to beat mortality that so long as we had access to God's presence in Eden, we could live. 
because we could eat from that tree. Um, but even though it's metaphor, it does become a, a serious example of what God is going to do because uh, the Bible begins to understand like the tree of life is not gone forever. They start to have this hope, actually, that the tree of life is is going to be extended to us again. So uh, Isaiah 65, 22 is a, a helpful verse for this. Uh, they, the Bible that you know, if you were to read your Old Testament, you would see something like this in Isaiah 65, 22. Uh, this translation uh, may be different from yours, but it says, For the day of my people shall be like the days of a tree. Now, <laughs> that, that doesn't mean too much to us because we're like a tree. Okay, well, a tree lives for a long time, especially if you think like the redwoods, things like that. Like that's a, it's a very ancient tree. It's been around for quite some time. So yeah, okay, living like a tree is longer than living like humanity at least. That's, that's nice. But uh, the later Hebrews interpreted this verse a little differently. So uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, this is a translation Jesus would have grown up with, Paul would have grown up with. They would have read this translation, uh, which says, The days of my people will be like the days of the tree of life. So when uh, the uh, Hebrews were trying to translate uh, Isaiah 65, 22 into Greek, they took this element about uh, living like a tree, and they felt like a more accurate interpretation of this was that what Isaiah was getting at is that we would live like the days of the tree of life. Therefore, uh, people in Jesus' time would have heard this and expected, okay, so uh, the chance to live an immortal life, the chance to live forever, uh, will be extended to us again. Uh, the prophet Isaiah told us that one day we would have access again to the tree of life or or that we would be given, as God's faithful people, the ability to live forever like that tree of life would have offered us then. So you can see the people of Jesus' time getting excited about uh, uh, this tree of life returning to them, that God apparently isn't done with us, and you can see how this would feed into the idea uh, that was going around in Jesus' time, that we all might be resurrected, which Jesus showed us. He, he preached that that was a real thing, uh, and then he showed us in the end that he was resurrected and that we too one day would be resurrected. So he was kind of like a foretaste, like, look, here's a resurrected body. It's a real thing, and it's going to happen to all of us down the road, in which Paul says our mortal bodies that come from Adam will be resurrected into immortal bodies, which come from Jesus. So again, we see like Adam was mortal. His ability to live long came from the, the tree of life. Okay, anyways, uh, all that being said, the people of Jesus' time expected the return of the tree of life, and that's exactly what Revelation does for us, right? When we look at the book of Revelation, we see the tree of life return. So your Bible literally begin. and when I say literally, I, I actually mean like literally, literature <laughs> Ali, right? In your literature, known as the Bible, it begins with the tree of life and it ends with the tree of life. Because once we get into Revelation, 
we see God's presence return. Eden is restored. A new Jerusalem is created. And uh, what was there in the beginning has now been recreated into a new heaven, a new earth. But we've gone full circle. Uh, and this time it's even better because this time we are in immortal, resurrected bodies that cannot die living in the fullness of God's presence. But there in Revelation, uh, the tree of life shows up in Revelation 2 and Revelation 22. And there we find ourselves back with access, not just to God's presence, but that which comes with God's presence, the tree of life, so that we can live forever. So just as the Jews of Jesus' time were waiting for Isaiah's prophecy to come true, uh, Revelation starts talking about the end of the world as we know it, and when that comes, uh, things will be reestablished, made new, and there we will find our access back to the tree of life. So this really becomes an important element uh, for, for Christians to recognize. Uh, even if you just want to take it from a symbolical standpoint, like that's still very powerful symbolism. Is God's presence then is what we'll have access to again down the road. Uh, I do want to talk briefly about uh, some of the stuff that's going on in the middle here, though, because we do see the tree of life not just at the beginning of the Bible and at the end of the Bible, but it actually becomes a, a statement about wisdom in wisdom literature, which is, you know, somewhere in between uh, the Bible's pages. Uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, we come across a lot of wisdom tradition and uh, here, we actually find, uh, 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 it seems that um, the tree of life is related to wisdom. Now, this is kind of ironic, right? Because when you think about it, uh, <laughs> it seems like Adam and Eve were after wisdom. They, they went and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, almost as though to attain wisdom, as though that... Uh, attaining of that knowledge would make them more like God. But here we find in, in wisdom literature, uh, true wisdom is made out to be like a tree of life. So if you wanted wisdom in the first place, it wasn't by running to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was by running to the tree of life. So here's a few examples. Uh, Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. So right there you have the tree of life uh, uh, connected to wisdom and righteousness. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So again, righteousness is related to the tree of life. Uh, Psalm 1.3, it says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, this didn't say a tree of life here, but uh, to quote the Lexham Bible Dictionary, it says, but it incorporates the imagery of a lush, leafy tree as representing a discerning person. The reference to a tree planted by streams of water, which gives fruit in season, whose leaves do not shrivel, refers to a good and blessed one who eschews evil and takes delight in the law of the Lord. So right here, you actually have kind of like this connection between uh, the law in the Old Testament as being uh, the tree of life. So 
Think of it this way, right? Um, after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, time goes by and we're given the law. It's a, it's a covenant for God's people to hold. They need to live by this. And there is this kind of like understanding, and it's not fully developed yet, I don't think, at this time. Um, but there's kind of this understanding, like if you want access to eternal life, if you want to live a, a life that is actually full of life, well, then you live by the law. You follow God's covenant, and you you live by the wisdom that is found there. Uh, there's actually later Jewish literature um, that reflects on this idea, and what you find there is that they thought that if you kept the law, it was kind of an alternate path to obtain life. So, all that being said, you, you see uh, kind of in the meantime, between the trees of life, there was this understanding that wisdom, true wisdom, was not found in the knowledge of good and evil, but found in the tree of life, and living a righteous life by the uh, expectations of the law well, that was how you kind of attained the tree of life, how you did uh, what you could to eat that fruit while in this time where that tree was uh, not accessible. So, and maybe maybe I'm uh, kind of uh, blurring the lines there, but uh, it's just kind of one of the ways in which you see some interesting things uh, throughout the wisdom literature. So all that being said, these are just important things for us to pay attention to. Uh, we in the Christian state know so much more about the tree of life than uh, a lot of the different stories that I just told. You know, for Adam and Eve, it kind of looked like uh, they had just lost access to this and that life would now forever be different. But by the time you get to the Jews, they're kind of expecting uh, that uh, the tree of life uh, will one day return. And by the time we get to Jesus, we see that he shows us that eternal life is going to return in a resurrected state. And by the time we get to Revelation at the end of the Bible, which, you know, uh, we now get to live in the fullness of Revelation's revelation, <laughs> we see that the tree of life one day returns and that we get to live on eternally in God's presence, in God's wisdom, with God's wisdom, uh, with uh, access to everything that we once had in Eden. So all that being said, I hope you can see why this motif is important. Uh, and whether you take it symbolically, scientifically, or supernatural, it really doesn't matter because the point, uh, the, the takeaways are all the same in the end. So while we may be dust right now, while we may return to dust, uh, take Paul's uh, beautiful words into memory and remember how he tells us that this body, this this atom-like body that we live in now, it's like a seed that will one day be planted in the ground. Uh, and because we are a new creation in Jesus Christ, we will then take on the new body he offers us. Adam had this physical body, but Jesus had this uh, physical, spiritual, heavenly hybrid body that he offers us. And when we put that on, uh, we will find ourselves in the new creation with uh, access to the tree of life. So that is uh, what we're talking about uh, today. Next week, we're going to be talking about marriage as the Bible sees it. 
A lot of times people uh, think that um, marriage is defined in all these other places in the Bible, but uh, you actually find it right at the beginning, which is something that um, uh, Preston Sprinkle, I just got the chance to hear him speak for like six hours. He's a brilliant theologian, and he just kept calling attention to this. A lot of his his job is in uh, uh, sexuality and marriage and all the conversations that come out of sexuality. And so he wants us to look right at the beginning of the Genesis to see, like, we don't have to search elsewhere for uh, kind of understandings of what marriage is. It's right here. So that's what we're going to talk about next week on the Midweek Edition. For right now, though, uh, that is your bit on the Tree of Life. And we will catch you soon.